Uh, we are in a new series that we uh, are calling uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and it's kind of based on the latest book by pastor and author Peter Scazzaro. Uh, where last week, as we introduced the series, we, we talked about how one of the hard truths that we need to begin to wrestle with as Christians, as uh, people who live in the United States, uh, is that as we have gone through the COVID-19 pandemic, and, in, and we're now coming out into a world that is different and has changed and that we don't even fully comprehend or understand. One of the things that we know that we have to, to, to take to heart is that church will never go back to the way it was. One of the reasons why many suspect that people aren't returning to church, at least particularly on Sunday mornings right now, is that with the limited time and energy that we all have and the increased priorities that we are discovering on time with family and close friends and on trying to maintain our own mental and emotional health in the midst of, of a time where many of us feel like we're still living in survival mode. Going to church simply isn't relevant enough in people's minds to make the cut. And in this, we also have an opportunity to begin to rediscover, perhaps, what a more emotionally healthy form of discipleship might look like that not only can we begin to live into in more life-giving ways, but that we can invite people to discover as they begin to search for answers to how to live life in this new world in which we all find ourselves. In Peter Scarzero's book, he suggests that the starting point for understanding a more emotionally healthy discipleship is to recognize the ways in which we have, in fact, maybe overemphasized the doing of activities for God to the neglect of time actually being with God. And he said it in this way, unless we can learn how to make this shift away from doing for and back to being with, our own spiritual and emotional maturity will continue to languish. And what he says is that our current state of discipleship, at least maybe in, in America, in our country, in our westernized forms of Christianity, despite our words to the contrary, he says, too often contributes to us becoming less whole, less human, and less like Jesus. While he says a truly successful discipleship to Jesus will lead us to learn what it means to become more whole and to become more human and to become more like Jesus. He then suggests for us that on this journey, uh, which is one of the key takeaways for us today, is that as followers of Jesus, one of the key indicators that we are on the road to spiritual and emotional maturity in Christ is when we live joyfully within our God-given limits. Let me say that one more time. One of the key indicators that we're on the road to spiritual and emotional maturity in Christ is when we live joyfully within our God-given limits. Now, that is hard for us to do. We know that following Jesus, the Bible tells us, requires sacrifice. Yet I'd also like to suggest that part of the challenge that we're going to have to recognize in this new world is that when we try to, to rescue people and to save people, whether it's in our own families or in our marriages or with our friends or, or even here at church, it can often be at the expense of our own emotional and spiritual health. 
We have to recognize that Jesus' command was never for us to go and save the world. That was his job. That's what he came to do. Jesus' command that we were reminded of in our introduction to the series last week was what? John 15, 17, this is my command. Love each other. See, the way we go about fulfilling Jesus' commission to go and make disciples of all nations is not that we go out and try and save people, but that we learn to genuinely love people. He said, baptize them and teach them to do what? Obey everything I have commanded. What did he command? Love each other. It's really that simple. And it's really that hard. I remember coming back from seminary. I went to seminary in Pasadena when our family was living in Phoenix. And so I would be able to you know, drive home in kind of a... a six or a five-hour drive, depending on how heavy my foot was on that weekend. And so I could go home and hang out at home for weekends and then go back to school. And I I remember one of those weekends where I was home and it was probably a holiday and and, and we're sitting in the living room and my dad is reclining in his recliner chair. And my dad was, you know, a, a pastor all of his life. I grew up as a pastor's kid and his parents were missionaries. So it's kind of part of the family business. But we're sitting there, right, in one of these uh, peaceful, family-oriented times, and we're just relaxing, and, and I could just see that, that he's, he's reflecting, and he's looking back on his life and on ministry, and just kind of out of the blue, he goes, you know, when I graduated from seminary, they didn't say it directly, but it was really clear that it was our job to go out and save the world. And you know, looking back now after all these years, I don't think that's true. In fact, I don't even think that's possible. And we felt all this pressure to sacrifice our time and our energy and even our own relationships with our family and our kids for the purpose of of God's mission to save the world and that that was a part of our calling from Jesus. But now I look back and and I think that our job was never to save the world. That, that's Jesus' job. Our job was to simply learn how to truly love the people that God has given us. And that when we learn to love the people that we're with, God uses our love and our relationships to bless the world around us in ways that we could never imagine or, or never dream of. And so it's really through our our love for one another that God accomplishes his mission to save the world through us. And Scazzaro says it in his book in this way, he said, what we are often lacking as followers of Jesus is a healthy understanding of God's gift of limits in our lives. Because he says this is an essential part of of choosing what to do and what not to do and, and, and how we minister to others who are in need. Limits, he said, become a, 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 an extremely spiritual issue for us in our lives. Because accepting limits is a part of learning to recover a healthy humanity. Because in doing so, if we're really honest, we're learning to acknowledge the truth that we all know, but very few of us like to be reminded of, is that we are not the gods of our own lives. Healthy limits, he says, are important in every area of life, be it in the workplace or in parenting. 
in our marriages or with our friendships and, and in our dating lives. But they're especially necessary for those of us, he says, who live and who lead in the new family of Jesus called the church. Because for us, as followers of Jesus, we begin to grow in spiritual and emotional maturity when we come to accept the fact that we are finite creatures created by God as we surrender to the fact that God is the one who is in control of our lives and in control of this world, and, and we are not. And so how we choose to understand and respond to the, the reality of limits in our lives goes directly to the core of our relationship with the God who created us and knows us better than we know ourselves. In fact, we could even say, couldn't we, that, that the uh, original sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden was to defy God's gift of limits. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. There's a limit. There's a lot of freedom, but there's also a limit. But the devil comes in, right, and convinces Adam and Eve that God's limit wasn't an indicator of his love for them. It was really an indicator of God's stinginess and that he didn't want to share all of his stuff. And so in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so rather than beginning to trust in God's limits for their life as a gift of his love for them, they chose to believe that God was withholding something from them. And instead, they wanted to, to seek to become like God and they wanted to live unlimited lives. And sadly, the consequences of their choice continues to impact our lives today and we fall victim to that same temptation over and over and over again. But the good news, brothers and sisters, is that in order to reverse the consequences of what we now call the fall, <laughs> Jesus came to rescue us and to renew our very humanity that was created to be in the image of God but was never meant to be God. If we understand this, then we can also look and recognize that Jesus, too, faced this temptation in his own life as he, he had to wrestle with the question of his own limits as a human being while he was here on earth. In the wilderness, in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we know that the devil came and tempted him three times, each time requiring Jesus to, to put his trust in God the Father and to embrace his own limits as a human being. Let's, let's go back and read that story real quick. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing in those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, 
The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. You see, rather than turning stones into bread to feed his own hunger, Jesus trusted in God's provision for his life. Rather than seeking to claim power and authority for himself, Jesus trusted in God's plan for how to accomplish his purposes through him. Rather than trying to force God to perform a miracle that would prove to everyone who Jesus was, Jesus trusted in God's affirmation of his life and his mission in God's way and in God's timing. Throughout his earthly ministry, you can go and you can look and you can see Jesus embracing God's gift of limits in his own life, trusting in God's power and in God's timing to fulfill the mission that God had given him to accomplish. So here again, an emotionally healthy discipleship encourages us in this area too, to seek to become more and more like Jesus. Which leads us to our second takeaway for today, is that when we fail to recognize and accept God's gift of limits in our own lives, we end up paying a higher cost, both spiritually and emotionally, than God ever intended for us to pay. Without seeing and accepting limits in our own lives, in our own ministries as a faith community here at church. We run the risk of believing not only that we can do it all, but even more insidiously that we should be doing it all. And if we can't or if we aren't, then the problem is that there's something wrong with you and there's something wrong with me and there's something wrong with our church. And so we got to start figuring out who to blame and where to point the fingers and who we should complain to. Because we're living dissatisfied, unhappy lives. Because we think we're supposed to be able to have it all and do it all and be all things to all people. Growing up as kids, weren't we often told, you can be anything that you want to be when you grow up? Right? But is that really true? You can be a doctor or a professor. You can be an artist or a musician. You can be a professional athlete. You can be an astronaut. You can be president of the United States. But as we grow older and become wiser and become a little bit more mature, don't we begin to recognize that the the truth and the reality is that while each of us have many gifts and we have great potential to become many things, those very gifts and the abilities that we have are the very things that limit us to things that we're naturally gifted at and wired to be and to do. You can't literally be anything. But if we don't learn to see those limits 
as a part of God's creative gift in you and in me, the way that he intentionally crafted you and designed you because he loves you and he has a purpose for your life. We don't learn to see that God wants to use our experience of limits for us to learn and discover how we're each uniquely gifted and called to serve God's kingdom in ways that only you can do and only I can do. And then we begin to see those very limits, the very identities that we carry as the obstacles to the lives that we think that we want, but we may never be able to experience. And so in the process, Scazzaro says that in seeking to bypass or deny the very natural limits in our lives that are even carried by our very identities and who God has created us to be, we can unwittingly end up bypassing and skipping over the very presence of God in our lives at the same time. The problem, he says, is that like Adam and Eve, most of us resent limits in our lives. We expect far too much from ourselves and we expect far too much from others. We expect far too much from our churches and far too much from our pastors. And we're dissatisfied with acknowledging that, that we're not perfect and that we're broken and fallen people and that somehow we, we, we're never satisfied. And so we continue to go through life being frustrated and disappointed and even angry at each other and angry at God because we're not getting what we want. In fact, he says, much of our experiences of burnout come as a result of attempting to give what we don't even have. And so we deplete ourselves and we, we, we end up running on empty and we burn ourselves out, thinking that that's the way to find happiness. When in reality, when we begin to learn to say no to some things, even to good things, in order to begin to say yes to God's best things for our lives, we begin to break through the limits of our need to be people pleasers and to live for the affirmation of others. And we begin to learn the wisdom of accepting God's gift of limits in our lives as a sign of our growing healthy maturity in Christ. Receiving the gift of limits as a church and as a faith community, he says, means creating a new kind of discipleship culture among us that not only affirms limits as a value, but actually helps people begin to integrate healthy limits and balance in their lives and in their relationships and in their workplaces. And so as we continue to emerge from a, a, a pandemic that has completely disrupted our lives and, and disrupted our world and we wrestle with how to live and to work and minister as followers of Jesus, I don't know how you feel, but it feels like we're hitting the gas pedal and we're back to the races and we're going fast and furious and we're going to go right back to where we were before and we may miss the opportunity that God has presented his church in this time to rediscover what it means to spend time being with God rather than just doing for God. And to accept his gift of limits so that we can invite, invite others into a healthier and a more human form of what it actually means to be healed, whole followers of Jesus. And so in this new world in which we find ourselves, each of us can begin to ask ourselves this question, what limits 
do I need to receive and accept to submit to joyfully as God's gift to me that I don't have to do it all, I don't have to be it all, that I'm acceptable as I am and I can discover God's joyful presence in my life now without anything else that I need? What limits do I need to receive and submit to joyfully as God's invitation to trust Him? And a second and equally important question that we need to be asking for that that we're going to explore and and dig into a little bit more next week is what limits is God asking me to break through in faith so that others might know him or so that I might become the person he intends? Because not only are our limits gifts of God to us to help us see where our boundaries are, but they are also ways that God wants to show up and do in us things that we know we never could have done so that we know that his miraculous power at work in our life is his demonstration of his love and his compassion and his desire to use us to be a blessing to the world around us. You see, it's accepting God's gift of limits that first drives us back to relationship with God. He is the anchor for our souls. When we find ourselves in the midst of the storms of life, we are reminded that we were never intended to have divine power to manage and control all of life, but that we are to go back to Jesus and and find him to be the one who is calmly sleeping in our boat. And to invite him to be the one who stands up and through his divine presence and power can speak into the storms of our lives and into the the, the anxiousness of our hearts and say, peace, be still and know that I am God and I am with you and I love you and I care about you more than you could ever imagine. And if you simply accept my love for you and the limits that go along with it, I will bless you and you will be perfectly okay in my arms. Again, I believe that's why Jesus was so insistent with his disciples in John 15, which we talked about last week, that they were to do everything possible to ensure that they stayed connected to him that he was their anchor, and that they abide in him, they, they remain in him, that, that, that his love for them was what would guide them through the storms of their lives. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But in this chapter, the converse is also true. The point Jesus wanted his disciples to understand is that while apart from him we can do nothing, we cannot control or manage or accomplish what we would dream of in our own lives. When we stay connected with him, what we will discover is his power, his work working through us to make our lives truly fruitful and productive for his kingdom. Sometimes it feels like accepting limits in our lives is the very opposite of what we should be doing and the very opposite of what our culture tells us we should be pursuing. 
not only in order to, to, to fulfill our own desires and our own interests and our own preferences and our, and, and our own hungers and wants, but, but even for the interests of God's mission in the world, we take that into the culture of the church and we say we need to do more and we need to go faster and that bigger is always better. When all the while God is saying, if you accept the gift of limits in your life, what you will discover is that everything that you already have is more than enough to do the things that God is asking you to do. And if God asks you to do more, he will provide the increase. Amen? And so when we can begin to rearrange our lives as Christians based on God's priorities and the gift of limits in our lives and to rearrange our time in our ministries as a faith community, both accepting of limits but also being willing to allow God to show us the limits that he wants us to break through through his power and his strength at work within us. We begin to understand how we are being invited and we are inviting others to be on a journey of spiritual and emotional health and maturity as we grow in Christ with one another. And what we will discover is that as we learn to do God's work in God's way and in God's timing, our lives will bear God's fruit and we will experience the abundant life that Jesus came to offer us because the abundant life is the fruit of his spirit within us. We'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. God, forgive us for the ways that we too, like Adam and Eve, have been tempted to defy your limits in our life. Help us to learn through your spirit and through your word again today to see the gift of limits in our lives, not, not as your stinginess, but as your blessing to guide us and to direct us into what it means to be healthy and whole human beings who are created in the image of God and redeemed by Jesus to renew the very humanity that you intended for us when you made us. God, speak into our hearts and into our lives. Help us lean into one another to, to challenge each other, to wrestle with these difficult challenges, to accept that we are not God. And your command to us was never to go and save the world, but simply to love each other well. God, teach us to love ourselves so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. And through our love for one another, we can be light in the darkness. And we can carry forward the mission of Jesus, whose broken body and shed blood that we are about to participate in reminds us of our need for healthy limits in our lives, but also for your divine power to rescue us and to heal us and to lead us into a better way of living with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.